Chapter Twenty One of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Secret City by Hugh Walpole. Chapter Twenty One. Late on the afternoon of Nina's birthday, when I was on the point of setting out for the English prospect, the rat appeared. I had not seen him for several weeks, but there he was, stepping suddenly out of the shadows of my room, dirty and disreputable and cheerful. He had been, I perceived, drinking furniture polish. "'Good evening, Baron.' "'Good evening,' I said sternly. "'I told you not to come here when you were drunk.' "'I'm not drunk,' he said, offended. "'Only a little. It's not much that you can get these days. I want some money, Baron.' "'I've none for you,' I answered. "'It's only a little. God knows that I wouldn't ask you for much, but I'm going to be very busy these next days, and it's work that won't bring pay quickly. There'll be pay later, and then I will return it to you.' "'There's nothing for you to-night,' I said. He laughed. "'You're a fine man, Baron. A foreigner is fine. That's where the poor Russian is unhappy.' I love you, Baron, and I will look after you, and if, as you say, there isn't any money here, one must pray to God, and he will show one the way. What's this work you're going to do? I asked him. There's going to be trouble the other side of the river in a day or two, he answered, and I'm going to help. Help what? I asked. Help the trouble, he answered, smiling. Behave like a blackguard, in fact. "'Ah, blackguard, Baron,' he protested, using a Russian word that is worse than blackguard. "'Why these names? I'm not a good man. God have mercy on my soul, but then I pretend nothing. I am what you see. If there's going to be trouble in the town, I may as well be there. Why not I as well as another? And it is to your advantage, Baron, that I should be.' "'Why to my advantage?' I asked him. "'Because I am your friend and will protect you,' he answered.' "'I wouldn't trust you a yard,' I told him. "'Well, perhaps you're right,' he said. "'We are as God made us. I am no better than the rest.' "'No, indeed you're not,' I answered him. "'Why do you think there'll be trouble?' "'I know. Perhaps a lot of trouble, perhaps only a little. "'But it will be a fine time for those of us who have nothing to lose. "'So you have no money for me?' "'Nothing.' "'A mere ruble or so?' "'Nothing.' "'Well,' I must be off. I am your friend. Don't forget. And he was gone. It had been arranged that Nina and Vera, Lawrence and Bowen and I, should meet outside the Ginicelli at five minutes to eight. I left my little silver box at the flat, paid some other calls, and just as eight o'clock was striking, arrived outside the Ginicelli. This is Petrograd's apology for a music hall. In other words, it is nothing but the good old-fashioned circus. Then again, it is not quite the circus of one's English youth, because it has a very distinct Russian atmosphere of its own. The point, really, is the enthusiasm of the audience, because it is an enthusiasm that in these sophisticated twentieth-century days is simply not to be found in any other country in Europe. I am an old-fashioned man, and quite frankly, I adore a circus, and when I can find one with the right sawdust smell, the right clown, and the right enthusiasm, I am happy. 
the smart night is a saturday and then if you go you will see in the little horse boxes close to the arena beautiful women in jewelry and powder and young officers and fat merchants in priceless shubas but to-night was not a saturday and therefore the audience was very democratic screaming catcalls from the misty distances of the gallery and showering sunflower seeds upon the heads of the bourgeoisie who were for the most part of the smaller shopkeeper kind nina to-night was looking very pretty and excited she was wearing a white silk dress with blue bows and all her hair was piled on the top of her head in imitation of vera but this only had the effect of making her seem incredibly young and naive as though she had put her hair up just for the evening because there was to be a party it was explained that markovitch was working but would be present at supper vera was quiet but looked happier i thought than i had seen her for a long time bohen was looking after her and lawrence was with nina i sat behind the four of them in the back of the little box like a presiding benevolence mostly i thought of how lovely vera was to-night and why it was too that more people did not care for her i knew that she was not popular that she was considered proud and reserved and cold as she sat there now motionless her hands on her lap her whole being seemed to me to radiate goodness and gentleness and a loving heart i knew that she could be impatient with stupid people and irritated by sentimentality and infuriated by meanness and cruelty but the whole size and grandeur of her nobility seemed to me to shine all about her and set her apart from the rest of human beings she was not a woman whom i ever could have loved she had not the weaknesses and naivetes and appealing helplessness that drew love from one's heart nor could i have ever dared to face the depth and splendor of the passion that there was in her i was not built on that heroic scale god forgive me if as i watched them i felt a sudden glow of almost eager triumph at the thought of lawrence as her lover i checked it my heart was suddenly heavy such a development could only mean tragedy and i knew it i had even sworn to semyonov that i would prevent it i looked at them and felt my helpless weakness who was i to prevent anything and who was there now in the whole world who would be guided by my opinion they might have me as a confidant because they trusted me but after that no i had no illusions i was pushed off the edge of the world hanging on still with one quivering hand soon my grip would loosen and god help me i did not want to go nina turned back to me and with a little excited clap of her hands drew my attention to the gallant madame ginicelli who although by no means a chicken arrayed in silver tights and a large black picture hat stood on one foot on the back of her white horse and bowed to the already hysterical gallery mr ginicelli cracked his whip and the white horse ambled along and the sawdust flew up into our eyes and madame bent her knees first in and then out and the bourgeoisie clapped their hands and the gallery shouted brava ginicelli cracked his whip and there was the clown giacomino beloved of his russian public as it was put on the programme and indeed so he seemed to be for he was greeted with roars of applause 
There was nothing very especially Russian about him, however, and when he had taken his coat off and brushed a place on which to put it and then flung it on the ground and stamped on it, I felt quite at home with him and ready for anything. He called up one of the attendants and asked him whether he had ever played the guitar. I don't know what it was that the attendant answered, because something else suddenly transfixed my attention, the vision of Nina's little white-gloved hand resting on Lawrence's broad knee. I saw at once, as though she had told me, that she had committed herself to a most desperate venture. I could fancy the resolution that she had summoned to take the step, the way that now her heart would be furiously beating and the excited chatter with which she would try to cover up her action. Vera and Bowen could not, from where they were sitting, see what she had done. Lawrence did not move. His back was set like a rock. He stared steadfastly at the arena. Nina never ceased talking, her ribbons fluttering, and her other hand gesticulating. I could not take my eyes from that little white hand. I should have been, I suppose, ashamed of her, indignant for her, but I could only feel that she was, poor child, in for the most desperate rebuff. I could see from where I sat her cheek, hot and crimson, and her shrill voice never stopped. The interval arrived, to my intense relief, and we all went out into the dark passage that smelt of sawdust and horses. Almost at once Nina detached me from the others, and walked off with me towards the lighted hall. "'You saw,' she said. "'Saw what?' I asked. "'Saw what I was doing.' I felt that she was quivering all over, and she looked so ridiculously young, with her trembling lip and blue hat on one side and burning cheeks, that I felt that I wanted to take her into my arms and kiss and pet her. "'I saw that you had your hand on his knee,' I said. "'That was silly of you, Nina.' "'Why shouldn't I?' she answered furiously. "'Why shouldn't I enjoy life like everyone else? "'Why should Vera have everything?' "'Vera!' I cried. "'What has it to do with Vera?' She didn't answer my question. She put her hand on my arm, pressing close up to me, as though she wanted my protection. "'Durdles, I want him for my friend. "'I do. "'I do. "'When I look at him and think of Boris and the others,' I don't want to speak to any of them again. I only want him for my friend. I'm getting old now, and they can't treat me as a child any longer. I'll show them. I know what I'll do if I can't have the friends I want, and if Vera is always managing me, I'll go off to Boris. My dear Nina, I said, you mustn't do that. You don't care for him. No, I know I don't. But I will go if everybody thinks me a baby, and Durdles... "'Durdles, please, make him like me, your Mr. Lawrence.' She said his name with the funniest little accent. "'Nina, dear,' I said, "'will you take a little piece of advice from me?' "'What is it?' she asked doubtfully. "'Well, this. Don't you make any move yourself. Just wait, and you'll see he'll like you. You'll make him shy if you—' But she interrupted me furiously in one of her famous tempers— "'Oh, you Englishmen, with your shyness and your waiting and your coldness, I hate you all. "'And I wish we were fighting with the Germans against you. "'Yes, I do, and I hope the Germans win. "'You never have any blood. You're all cold as ice. "'And what do you mean, spying on me? "'Yes, you were, sitting behind and spying. 
You're always finding out what we're doing and putting it all down in a book. I hate you, and I won't ever ask your advice again. She rushed off, and I was following her when the bell rang for the beginning of the second part. We all went in, Nina chattering and laughing with Bohan, just as though she had never been in a temper in her life. Then a dreadful thing happened. We arrived at the box, and Vera, Bohan, and Nina sat in the seats they had occupied before. I waited for Lawrence to sit down, but he turned round to me. "'I say, Doward, you sit next to Nina Mikhailovna this time. She'll be bored having me all the while.' "'No, no,' I began to protest. But Nina, her voice shaking, cried, "'Yes, Sturtles, you sit down next to me, please.' I don't think that Lawrence perceived anything. He said very cheerfully, That's right, and I'll sit behind and see that you all behave. I sat down, and the second part began. The second part was wrestling. The bell rang, the curtains parted, and instead of the splendid horses and dogs, there appeared a procession of some of the most obese and monstrous types of humanity. Almost naked, they wandered round the arena, mountains of flesh, glistening in the electric light. A little man, all puffed up like a polter pigeon, then advanced into the middle of the arena and was greeted with wild applause from the gallery. To this he bowed and then announced in a terrific voice, "'Gentlemen, you are about to see some of the most magnificent wrestling in the world. Allow me to introduce to you the combatants.' He then shouted out the names, "'Ivan Strogoff of Kiev!' Paul Rosing of Odessa, Jacob Smiaryov of Petrograd, John Meris from Africa, this the most hideous of Negroes, Karl Tubilov of Helsingfors, and so on. The gentlemen named smirked and bowed. They all marched off, and then, in a moment, one couple returned, shook hands, and under the breathless attention of the whole house began to wrestle. They did not, however, command my attention. I could think of nothing but the little crushed figure next to me. I stole a look at her, and saw that a large tear was hanging on one eyelash ready to fall. I looked hurriedly away. Poor child! And her birthday! I cursed Lawrence for his clumsiness. What did it matter if she had put her hand on his knee? He ought to have taken it and patted it but it was more than likely, as I knew very well, that he had never even noticed her action. He was marvelously unaware of all kinds of things, and it was only too possible that Nina scarcely existed for him. I longed to comfort her, and I did then a foolish thing. I put out my hand and let it rest for a moment on her dress. Instantly she moved away with a sharp little gesture, Five minutes later, I heard a little whisper. Turtles, it's so hot here, and I hate these naked men. Shall we go? Ask Vera. The first bout had just come to an end. The little man with the swelling chest was alone, strutting up and down, and answering questions hurled at him from the gallery. Uncle Vanya, where's Michael of Odessa? Oh, he's a soldier in the army now. Uncle Vanya, Uncle Vanya. "'Uncle Vanya!' "'Well, well, what is it? "'Why isn't Chornaya Maska wrestling tonight?' "'Ah, he's busy.' "'What's he busy with?' "'Never mind, he's busy.' "'What's he busy with, Uncle Vanya?' "'Uncle Vanya!' "'Shto?' 
Isn't it true that Michael's dead now? So they say. Is it true? Uncle Vanya! Uncle Vanya! The message had passed along that Nina was tired and wanted to go. We all moved out through the passage and into the cold fresh air. It was quite time, said Vera. I was going to suggest it myself. I hope you liked it, said Lawrence politely to Nina. No, I hated it, she answered furiously and turned her back on him. It could not be said that the birthday party was promising very well. End of chapter 21